First off, uh, I'm Lance. Uh, that's my beautiful wife, Candice, and that's my son, Theopolis. And actually, toward the end of uh, what I have to say, I'm gonna invite her down, uh, them down, and you guys can ask us questions. Uh, just because we go to Newbridge Church, and that's located in uh, the Portland Promise Center, uh, in Portland, on 18th and Baird. So we've been serving at Newbridge for about five years now. Uh, and so we've been planted in the West End at different places, but right now God has us in Portland. And so uh, we'd love to just field any questions you guys might have and um, just kind of speak to whatever you might want to hear regarding uh, just inner city ministry or anything like that. So uh, let me pray. Lord, I'm grateful for this speaking opportunity uh, just to engage my brothers and sisters in Christ uh, with your word, Father. Uh, Father, you have called us uh, to be light in a dark and sometimes tasteless world, Father, to be light and salt. Uh, Father, I ask that you allow the words of Scripture to speak truth, uh, to reach our hearts, and to illuminate our minds, and that we will further the kingdom. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. Um, the title of this piece, if you're taking notes, I guess you don't have to, is Pursuing People's Pain with Providential Peace. Um, and that title took me a while to get, but that's essentially what we're doing as the body of Christ, as Christians, as, as believers, as those uh, that we're called like, to live in this world and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pursue people with providential peace. I would say that we live in a divisive culture. It's us versus them. It's red versus blue in a political sense. It's red versus blue in a sports sense. And we just make assumptions on people. Like, if, if, if I walked in here with a red hat with tiny letters on it, you might make assumptions. If I walked in here with a bow tie and a suit and a bean pot, you might make assumptions. Anybody get that reference? The Nation of Islam? No. Okay, but you might make assumptions on me based on what I'm saying, what I'm wearing, maybe the car I drive, the bumper sticker. Um, in, any, in any little thing, you just might make a whole category, a whole uh, paradigm of me based on one simple thing. Is that fair to say? Yeah, and, and it's not what we as Christians are called to do. We're called to pursue, but not only pursue, but engage, befriend, and disciple. So I can't just look at someone with a hat on that I don't like and just make a full um, plethora of thoughts like, ah, no, I need to go engage them. And so that leads me to my first point tonight. Don't let your differences keep you from pursuing others because differences did not stop God from pursuing us. So you go to the University of Louisville. Your crew, right? right. That stands for, uh, what does crew stand for? It's not an acronym. It's not an acronym? Christians reaching universities. Okay, all right, well your crew. Um, <laughs> and so maybe people outside this room would make assumptions based on your name would make assumptions based on the organization, or just would make assumptions, period. Um, and that's not okay, and that, they do that, but you know, but we can't do the same thing. Like we can't walk in the student union or the student center and just make assumptions on people and not pursue them. Um, think of it this way. God is loving, God is eternal, God is perfect in every which way. In fact, the law of the Lord is perfect, according to Psalm 19. Uh, his truth is sweet, sweeter than, sweeter, sweeter than 
a honeycomb. But we, according to Ecclesiastes 12, 7, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. So we have this almighty, all-powerful, awesome, sweet, perfect, holy in every which way, never broken any type of sin or law or anything, uh, the triune God. Um, and then there's us, decorated dust. But yet he pursues us. And not only does he pursue us, but he sacrifices for us. Genesis 1, 26 to 28 says, God needed nothing or nobody to be glorious all by himself. He created us in his image, but he didn't need us. He could have just been perfect and holy all by himself, but yet he pursued, he pursued us. He tells us to procreate and fill the earth. He establishes a covenant um, through various people, various covenants through various people. He establishes a relationship with mankind, um, and he pursues us. We're different from God in many ways, and we'll always be different. Yet, even as he wiped the earth out in Genesis 6 with Noah, he restarts it again. He takes Noah's family, he saves them, and then he restarts the world. Psalm twenty-two twenty-seven: 27. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will worship before you. Now that's important to me because that's in Psalms, right? And so we're dealing with the Old Testament where God has established his covenant with his people, right? But if you notice, it says Israel, I should say, and all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations will worship before you. That's just not Israel. That's a future promise that people who don't look like the people of Israel, who don't sound like the people of Israel, in fact, who aren't even there right now, experience God's goodness and God's grace. So I ask you, crew, are there people in your classrooms on this campus who don't look like you, who don't talk like you, who don't think like you? Can you see God and his infinite wisdom and his infinite love calling them to himself? Because clearly in Psalm 22, 27, that's what the spirit laid out. In Genesis 18, 18, Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all nations of the earth will be blessed. Now, we know Abraham through the Abraham, Abraham covenant, um, but even in that, families, um, nations of the earth will be blessed. Even way back when, in the beginning of, of human history, God is looking at people who aren't there, who don't look like him, who aren't in Israel. We got a duty to pursue people who don't look like us because God has called them to himself. Uh, when I was in school, I won two tickets to a Scottie Pippen All-Star game. I'm from Chicago, by the way. Um, and I remember winning these two tickets, feeling very exclusive because I got to the United Center, that's where the Bulls play. And it was just a few of my classmates there. And we sat in the nosebleed section and we watched the Scottie Pippen All-Star game. I couldn't remember what happened, but I felt very special. I felt exclusive. I didn't want to share my tickets with anybody because I wanted my seat. Maybe we do the same thing. Maybe not out of wanting people to go to hell, but maybe out of just comfort. Maybe out of just feeling like we got ours and that's good enough. Um, 
I know you, like I said, I know you guys are on a college campus and there's competing ideologies and competing, competing thoughts. And in fact, I was coming to do something with my degree and I'm walking past uh, the Hebrew Israelites. You guys are familiar with them, correct? Yeah. Yes, and I um, was thinking, whatever this guy is saying, like, it's not true. And man, I was convicted in a moment because I was in a rush. I'm like, man, I know if I stop and engage him, he's, he might yell at me. He might think I'm crazy for believing in uh, Judeo-Christianity or whatever he might call it. But man, what if that's like a modern day Paul without the apostleship? If you know what I mean? Like, can it be? I think so. Need we be reminded that God sent Jonah to Nineveh and the people believed and repented and fasted. God sends Jonah to a people who, who he think, who he believes, is unworthy to hear the most beautiful story ever told. Yeah. God loves you. Now, once again, I don't know what um, you guys' you know, fear may be or uh, not wanting to share to sound unintellectual on University of Louisville's campus or to be made fun of or to just have a, I guess, a prehistoric faith. But I can tell you this, when God calls people, they come. The people of Nineveh, they repent. It says that the great city, which are more, God says, um, the Lord rebuked Jonah in 411, and should I not pity Nineveh, the great city, which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left hand, also much cattle. That's the end of the book of Jonah. But we know that people repented, like the very place that Jonah had no desire to go because he thought they were basically, look, you guys have about a, a few days to turn this around or this is all over. That's the first thing he said when he got there, when he ministered to him, he said, look, uh, God's going to give you a little time to turn this around, then we're going to kill you. Like, I don't know, maybe we, we look at people like that, like, wow, this person is going to hell in a handbasket or that belief goat sends them to hell. Yeah, that's true. But what do we have? We got the gospel. So there's some differences with people on campus, people in the community. Um, if you've ever stepped out of uh, campus, you know that Louisville is a very diverse city. Uh, you know that it's essentially split into three or four parts. You got South Louisville, you have West Louisville, you have East Louisville, and you kind of have downtown I guess you got, and then you got Louisville's campus. We're kind of like sitting here hanging out near downtown, but not really associated with any part of town. Um, so, you know, it's kind of its own entity. But look, I can tell you right now, our campus has political differences, familial differences, economic differences. It's kind of like its own Mars Hill in a way, you know? And um, I'm pretty sure you guys know this, but we're on what, Third Street? <laughs> just four blocks away. And I'm pretty sure you guys have seen it. You've driven by, I hope you have, maybe. Um, there's like a row of adult film houses. And even if you keep going to Shelby Park, uh, anyone heard of um, Scarlet Hope? Surely, yeah. Like, women whom God has restored to himself through the ministry of baking. My wife and I live in Shawnee Park. 
Anybody heard of that? Yeah, it's uh, a beautiful neighborhood, a historic neighborhood. Um, we almost bought a house off the golf course. Then I said, hey, I'm a social worker. Can't afford it. <laughs> I actually did tell her that I was a little worried afford it. But no, it's a beautiful, beautiful area. And I feel like it doesn't get the Imago Day respect that it deserves. I'm not saying respect out of how great we are, but just because, man, there are people there who are living and breathing, right? Uh, my wife and I um, went to the park in Portland. What park was it, honey? Where we met the lady? Oh, that was on the side of the road. On what? We didn't go to a park. We were walking the neighborhood. Oh, well, what? Yeah, well, we were in the one, anyway, she might remember later if I tell her, but essentially we knocked on a door in Portland, in the West End still, and we, we, I think we were just kind of sharing about new breed and stuff like that, and she told us that she was trying to come out of the strip dance industry, and in that moment, I'm like, wow, this is real. Like, I've never met anyone who was in that industry, and let alone told me they were trying to leave it. Um, and it's just hundreds of conversations like that. Neighbors who, I mean, we found a, a heroin needle in our front yard shortly after my son was born. And in that moment, I was like, man, God, you've put me in a place where people are hurting, and I need to pursue them. I need to pursue their brokenness, because they might repent. In Leviticus, um, my second point is pursue with intentionality as God has made people with great intentionality. We pursue with intentionality as God has made people with great intentionality. Leviticus, I'm in the Old Testament because I think it's so beautiful how we take the Old Testament sometimes and we box it up into like, all right, those are the people of God in the covenants and then the New Testament is for everybody else who's not a Jew. Not necessarily, because in Leviticus 19.34, which is the law, right? Yeah, you shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as a native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you are strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Hmm. In the second book of the Bible, when sometimes we think, okay, this is where God is laying down the law, literally, like he lays it down on tablets, right? Um, and it's very... Um, Exclusive, Like the people of Israel, they had to wear their hair a certain way. They had to dress a certain way. They had to do everything a certain way. Um, they even had to pursue other people. The stranger who sojourns with you, you treat him as a native among you. Now, I don't know who's in your classroom or who's in your dorm or whatever like that or wherever. But man, like there's a person that you probably consider a stranger in the strangest way. They're supposed to be considered a native among you. And I don't think he qualifies it like, hey, so some of the people, some of the, um, I guess, the Babylonians who kind of believe, but kind of think, no, no, no. You treat the strangers who sojourns with you as a native among you. You love them. And then he even says, hey, you two were once strangers in the land of Egypt. I think sometimes we forget where we come from. Like nobody woke up with the, uh, can I say this? Reformed theology. I don't know. Nobody woke up at six years old thinking, yeah, I know what the Trinity is. <laughs> no. 
like it was a process. Like God called you out of darkness into light. I mean, what's the difference between you and that other person? Nothing. God's covenant with Israel was strong. It was sincere. But he also had room for other people to come in. He also told them to go witness to other people. My uh, favorite, uh, you guys ever heard of the term intersectionality? Yeah, all right, so basically, it's kind of a secular term as a social worker, where it's like a bunch of different um, subcultures come together in one person or one place. Like you can be a guy and black, or you can be a lesbian and white and a woman, or whatever, like a bunch of things come together. And um, I never really heard the term in Christian circles until recently, and it was a, my pastor who also is a social worker, but I think we need to embrace that in this sense. People come from different places with different baggage, and it's not like their baggage is too much different from ours, if we're really honest, right? Like, we're decorated dust. They are too. We just love Jesus and know to love him, and he loves us and we know to love him back by his grace. And so even, I mean, really think like you are in covenant with God through, through his son, Jesus Christ. Not because you're special and talented or you're smart, but because he, he called you and he loves you and he melted your heart. Yeah. What's the difference between him, between you and somebody else? Nothing. I love John chapter four. Uh, it's a classic example of intersectionality. You have Jesus meeting the woman at the well, in the middle of the day, in the hot of the day, he's a Jew, he's a rabbi, and she's a Samaritan woman. Now, you don't need to know the definition of a Samaritan, because you probably already know. But essentially, it's kind of like two different cultures meeting one, and they were thought of as less. Um, the truth is, my wife and I have conversations about our son all the time, because people make comments about him all the time. We're like, ah, I don't know. He's an image bearer before he's that. But um, John 4, like he meets her where she is. I know you got classmates who hang out in places that you can't go, but you got classmates who hang out in places you can go. I don't know what your version of the well is here. Meet them where they are. Like, yeah, they might not be getting plastered or whatever. I mean, they might be getting plastered or whatever, but okay, you ain't gotta hang out with them then, but like, meet them where you can. Love them where they are. Acts 9 is another one of my favorite passages where Peter clearly walked with Jesus and was a Jew himself. And God tells him to get up, Peter, kill and eat. You got the freedom to pursue people. <laughs> we have the freedom to pursue people who may not believe what we believe and love what we love and look like us from a spiritual sense. In 1 Corinthians 9, 19 to 23, I'm going to read the whole thing. For though, this is Paul, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. That I might win those outside the law. 
To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people. By all means, I might save some. I do it for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them and its blessings. For the sake of the gospel. Not for the sake of trying to fit in or nothing like that, but for the sake of the gospel. Do we look at people who look different from us, who act different from us, a different part of town? You guys are probably from all over the place, I'd imagine. Do we look at them with gospel intentionality? Because I know in the moment when I was walking on campus and the Hebrew Israelite was yelling at someone with a microphone like myself, I don't know if I saw him the gospel intentionality in that moment. I think I just wanted to go back to my car and forget about it. The goal is salvations by means of love, which leads me to my third and last point, sincerely love. The Bible says, let your love be genuine, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Genuine love, what does it look like? Well, I think it looks like um, Lazarus, his family coming to Jesus saying, hey, Lazarus just died. And Jesus going to the house and crying. I mean, he just cried. He, he, he wept with him. He didn't, make, he didn't turn into an opportunity to, to, to show how powerful he was or how great he was, which he did eventually, we know that. But still, in that moment, his initial response was to love the family simply by being with them in their pain. I'm calling us to hurt when people hurt, laugh when people laugh, cry when people cry, and mourn when people mourn. Like, I know it sounds pretty simple, but sometimes when the world hurts, we say, ah, you deserve that. Yeah, but so do we. Yeah. Apart from grace, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, yeah. nothing special. Yeah. I mean, I know we know people who hurt, right? I, I mean, this is a college campus. Like, we, we'd be crazy to think that um, the Imago Day hasn't been distorted in so many ways on this campus. Mm -hmm. There's a young lady, a young man, who may not think them that highly of themselves. I know we know these people. Let's pursue them. Let's cry when they cry. Let's mourn when they mourn. We can disagree. I mean, they might not believe, but man, Let's, as they say, be Jesus with skin on. I don't even know if that's legit theologically, but you guys get what I'm saying. Hosea 2, 22 and 23. I will sow for her myself in the land, and I will have mercy on no mercy, and I will say to not my people, you are my people, and he shall say you are my God. Yeah, that's Hosea. <laughs> like these are people that God knows are not in covenant with him, but he's saying, no, I'm going to bring them in, co in covenant with me through your words, Hosea, through my word. Eventually, there are people on campus and in life who are not in covenant with God. Can we pray and imagine a world where they are? Mark 12, 30 is the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. We got plenty of neighbors, whether it be Churchill Downs or 7th Street or 
guy who lives next door, the lady who lives across the way. We have plenty of neighbors. And I'm pretty sure there's pain. It's just a matter of we want to pursue it or not with the peace of God. Once again, God is sovereign, God is holy, God is perfect. He's infinite in his wisdom. He's infinite in his love. We don't check any of those boxes, but yet he pursues this through his son, Jesus Christ. Not because of how great we are, but simply because he had a plan of love and redemptive history to redeem us through the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. And of course we know that Christ didn't stay dead on the cross in the tomb, that he rose on the third day Amen. and he defeated death. Amen? Mm -hmm. And through that, we too can have eternal life in Christ Jesus if we believe in him. If we submit our hearts to him and we wait on his imminent return. That's important too. We don't just know what he did. We don't just know the historical Jesus. We wait and listen and watch for the trumpets and the sound and the sky to open up. And we say, we know you're coming back. Amen. We don't know when, but we know you're coming back. It's kind of like um, the book of uh, Thessalonians. You work while you wait. We work while we wait. And our work right now means pursuing people in their pain. I'm gonna pray and then uh, I'm gonna ask my wife to come up. Can you come up? Yeah. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day, this, this night, this evening, just to listen to your word, Father. How you pursued us even in our brokenness, Father. And you call us to do the same, to love our neighbor, to sojourn, with, to live with those who have sojourned from afar, who have come from afar. To treat the um, immigrant as one of our own, Father. And may you give us a heart of compassion to love, to serve, and to witness for your kingdom. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.